This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. How's it going out there on this wet Thursday? Hopefully everything is all right in your world. We've got plenty for you here on the program. We've got the, well, football schedule for the next four years because we were wondering when the American was going to announce what the sort of matrix, and that is their word, is going to be for the new teams arriving into the conference with Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF all departing and the six schools from the Conference USA moving in. Were there going to be divisions? That does not appear to be the case. We'll run it all down for you and even have what Michael Kelly had to say about it on the football radio show. Hopefully you got to hear that show. The first time it aired was Wednesday night. A lot of good information from Mr. Kelly along with Daniel DePrado, the interim head coach. Especially loved his anecdote as to what was the first use of the indoor performance facility. And as we're taping this, I'm guessing that they're using that thing again. Also had a chance to talk to Travis Trickett and Ernie Sims for my pregame show. Again, spoiler alert, we don't get up at you know 5 a.m. on Saturday and record the interview. We take them a little bit earlier in the week. And since the coordinators were not made available to the entire media, we'll give you a little hint of what they had to say. And then, of course, you can hear those in the 11 o'clock hour on our pregame show on Saturday. We'll also tell you what went down at the Yingling Center last night. Probably won't have any highlights from that one because... Unfortunately, it was one-sided in the other direction, but still a great atmosphere for the Warren I-4, easily won by USF. However, big match for men's soccer today. Again, I will not be making the trip to Miami to cover it for you, but we'll be watching it, and we'll, in this show, tell you about the matchup first with the Bulls against SMU, and yes, give you the bubble watch, because the Bulls are on the right side of the bubble. If they win today, you don't have to worry about it. If they lose, we'll tell you kind of what else to root for really not to happen or to happen, depending on how you look at it as, yes, just like men's basketball, and you're very familiar with that. You've got some of the conferences that you know we're only going to get one team into the field. You want those conference tournaments to go to the teams that are supposed to win them. Actually, there's only a few examples of that possibly happening, and that's a good thing if you're the Bulls. We'll lay that out for you in our second block. We'll also tell you in a little bit here about a huge signing day. It was signing day basically for every sport outside of football and basketball. So we've got some names to hand you from baseball, softball, and basically an entire roster starting to formulate for Mindy McCord's lacrosse team. But let's start off with football and that schedule we alluded to. So as you know, six new teams coming into the league, three from the state of Texas, those being Rice, UTSA, North Texas, along with Charlotte. UAB, and Florida Atlantic. So interesting to note how that was going to shake out. Would there be divisions? I didn't think that was a good idea for one reason. Basically, if you split it into two divisions of seven, you have to play everybody in your division, and then it severely limits how often you can play the teams, well, the other seven teams. So the league did not go in that direction. It has basically set out the cycle for the next four years, and with 14 teams, what they decided to do was give almost everybody one opponent that you play every year for the Bulls. Guess what? FAU. Of course, it makes sense. The rest of them, Charlotte and East Carolina being the two North Carolina schools. You've got 
SMU in North Texas, as Denton is in the vicinity of Dallas. Rice is in Houston, playing UTSA every season. Navy and Temple playing each other every season, because right now those are your teams that are kind of alone in the northeastern region of the American Athletic Conference. And the other two are Memphis and UAB, West Tennessee, Birmingham. Actually, it's kind of funny, the two schools that won't play each other every year that are left out of that common opponent situation are Tulane and Tulsa. You know, they're not that far apart, but then again, not really a big rivalry there. So that was set out, and the Bulls, as I said, will play FAU every season, and then what everyone will have is the ability to play each of the other schools, not your common opponent, exactly two times in the four-year cycle. It won't alternate per se. You could play one team two years in a row and then not see them for two years. For example, the Bulls will play Navy, UTSA, Rice, and Charlotte, along with FAU, each of the next two years. They won't see Tulane any of the next two years. Same goes for Tulsa. So it was kind of a complex scenario, I'm sure, for the league. The specifics for next year are pretty hilarious when it comes to the four teams that the Bulls will play at home. They will play, of course, FAU, the Owls. They'll play Rice, the Owls. They'll play Temple, the Owls. Who? And then what's Charlotte doing, being the 49ers? They will visit these four cities, Navy, of course, in Annapolis, UAB, Memphis, and UTSA. If you want to see the whole thing, head to GoUSFBowls.com, and here's what Michael Kelly had to say about it with Jim Lauk and Joey Johnston on the football radio show. That's right. That's kind of hot off the presses that we just had our uh, kind of our monthly uh, American Athletic Directors uh, conference call uh, last yes just yesterday, and that got approved and got released by the conference today. So it's good to know we'll, we'll know we know who our opponents are for the next four years. That's always good to be able to plan for as we try to find the right combination with our future and 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 uh, you know non-conference opponents. But when you look at next year, uh, you're right. There's going to be 14 teams in our in our league next year, so that's a little bit different. It'll be only we'll maintain just the one division so there won't be two divisions it's a matter of kind of playing the schedule that you have and uh, the top two teams will be who progresses on to the American Athletic Conference Championship game so that's a good way and it's the best way for as a conference to make sure that we have the best opportunity to have our two best teams playing in that championship game to give us the best chance under the current format to get into either the playoff or the New Year's Six Bowl and in the next iteration of the college football playoff to have the best chance to be one of the top-ranked six conference champions to be able to proceed directly into the playoffs. So that's important from that structurally. But to your point, next year we, we do know uh, you know our non-conference slate, we know we're on the road against uh, Western Kentucky. I think people know that in, in the opener, and we also have a trip to UConn later in the year. Uh, but at home, we have uh, we have FAMU coming back, which is always a great game for for us locally and a great crowd. And then obviously uh, we have Alabama coming to town in week in week three, so that'll be a a, a great slate non-conference wise. And then who we know we we won't know the dates as normal till late January, early February for the actual uh, dates of what we'll have for our conference slate. But we we know coming to uh, Raymond James will be. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll have FAMU, excuse me, we'll have FAU, we will have uh, Rice Temple, and we will have uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, that's right. That's three right. Owls and a 49er. Three Owls and a 49er, <laughs> that's right. A screeching good home season there, so it'll be, it'll be great. Screeching good, I like it. You can get plenty of chances to hear that show on replay. We'll give them to you. They're also available on demand if you want to check it out right now. But, yeah, of course he speaks about the coaching search. You heard a lot of the same sentiments, but in – a little bit more of a casual setting with Jim and Joey, you get to hear even more extensively what Michael had to say about that. Now, one cool thing that happened yesterday, and this is how it all went down, 
is that indoor performance facility got used. Awesome video put out by the USF football Twitter page. But here's the interim head coach, Daniel DePrado, breaking it down, how it all came to pass. So we, we, were, uh, we were having a team meeting this morning and present the schedule and then go through the practice script of what we're going to do in practice. And after I discussed the schedule for the day, I, I kind of told them, and, and I, I was, I'm a glass half full and it's always full type guy, and <laughs> told them, guys, hey, look, and y'all came in this morning. It's very, very windy. The ball is going to fly all over the place. It's dark. It's dreary. It's gray. And just kind of set it up as, you know, how are we going to respond? I believe you have the opportunity to choose how to respond in any situation. And then, hey, how are we going to respond? And waited for some responses. And someone's like, ah, you know, respond, adversity. Here we go. <laughs> you know, let's go. And then finally I heard a, someone in the back of the room kind of gave a little, go, go in the indoor? And I, you're right. Let's go in the indoor. So, they uh, the kids got excited and they were they were fired up. So we actually did the pre-practice uh, routine and everything outside, and then brought them up, talked through a couple things to make sure we were we were good on what was going to happen in there. And then we sprinted on in, and there was kids on the ground making I don't know, I guess called a snow angel, but a turf angel, and <laughs> kids were running around and having a blast. And and that's what that's what we're here for. I mean, that's what we're here is uh, coaches and as mentors of young people is for those moments for them to, to have a great experience. And, and it's their, their building. They've worked hard for it. And uh, I was just excited that they had the opportunity to get in there today. And that kind of speaks to, I think, another criteria you're, you're trying to bring here as we finish the season. You know, it's been a tough week for a lot of people, very emotional, a lot, a lot of heavy hearts. But uh, you, in, a, in addition to doing the work you've got to do, you say, we, we want to have fun. We've got to have fun. So uh, you're trying to maybe lighten the mood or just, just get their minds on, on the task in a different way. So how, how, are the, how do you want them to have fun? Yeah, if you, I mean, the easiest way to, to have fun is how we spell fun, which is W-I-N. That's the easiest way. But I think with anything in life, when, when, whatever you're doing in life, if you're not enjoying it, you're not going to perform to the best of your ability. And, and I think that's for anybody in any walk in life. If you go into a restaurant and, and your server comes over and they're excited and they're having a good time and they're interacting with you and they're reading people and they're working, I promise you they're doing a great job. And not only are they going to get a great tip, but you're going to enjoy your experience. That goes for anything. So um, I'm, I'm trying to get up, I mean, I'm get through the locker room first thing in the morning, get through the training room, get through, be around them, see them in the weight room, and just make sure you enjoy what you're doing. Now, yes, do you have to put the work in? Of course. And you're not going to get results if you don't put the work in. But if you're not enjoying putting the work in, then we're, we're, we're not going to get anywhere as it is. So, um, yes, obviously the, the easiest way to have fun is that, that good old W-I-N. And uh, we're doing everything in our power to get that. Um, but I think every single second of every single day you have a choice to be able to enjoy and make it a great day. Not hope that it happens or just maybe somebody will give me a great day. you got to create that. you got to make it a great day in everything that you do. It was awesome to be able to listen to what he had to say, and you can hear it again as we replay the radio show. Plenty on this Thursday. We will also, of course, have our traditional 2007 football offerings for you as well. Now, again, we are not going to give you the full sound of Ernie Sims because we want you to listen to it on the pregame show but here's just a little taste something that I enjoyed from our conversation that again will run at about 11:30 on Saturday morning on USF Bulls Unlimited I told him that we're gonna we're gonna have fun but I equate to having fun is dominating nice you know we, we dominate we dominate our opponent we fly around we play a we play a quality brand of football uh, we're physical uh, we're making plays on the ball yep that's a little taste for you also Travis Trickett was great as far as commenting, so is Coach Sims about 
what Jeff Scott meant to them. So again, that's both of the coordinators you're going to hear part of our second hour of our pregame. The first hour begins at 10 a.m. on Saturday live from Raymond James Stadium. Well, while that was going on, while we were recording the interviews and the coaches show, it seems like every five seconds there was a tweet from women's lacrosse as finally they got to, well, name names. You can't specifically name future student-athletes until it's signing day, it's official. And that was part of a big day at USF when it came to National Signing Day. We'll sum it up for you. It was National Signing Day for most of the sports outside of football, which is, of course, in season. But everybody else at least had some future members added to their roster. And, of course, there's a wide-open roster for the newest sport at USF Women's Lacrosse. And so, boy, I tell you what, the folks running their Twitter account know what they're doing. The Women's Lacrosse Twitter account was hot and heavy with not just names, but highlight videos. And no, I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about any of these players outside of what I saw yesterday. I do not, I apologize, I do not watch high school women's lacrosse, especially in states like Massachusetts and New Jersey and New York and Connecticut and Virginia and Michigan and PA and Maryland and Colorado and Ohio. These are the states among the states where Mindy McCord's first recruiting class hail from. 20 names in all. If you head to GoUSFBulls.com, you can go to the roster. It is already up and running. Again, they won't be playing for a couple years, but it is kind of cool to see the enthusiasm being generated by that program. And I'm telling you, we're a couple years away, but it is going to be a big-time addition to the USF athletics landscape. And this crew that came from Jacksonville basically built that program into one of the best in the country and one of the most exciting offensive-minded attacks in the country, leading the nation in scoring, that kind of thing, is going to be so much fun to watch. And if you go to the various teams' Twitter pages, you can see new players and a little bit of a description of all. I'm not going to you know, single out any one because that would be unfair to the many that signed. For an example, there were nine names in baseball, another seven players, including a couple of sisters in softball, Men's basketball added a future member. Brian Gregory spoke about him on the USF men's basketball Twitter page this morning. Two more to the soccer team on the women's side. Volleyball, women's golf, one each, and men's golf a pair. So a lot of new future bulls. And as we learn more about them, still a full couple of sports seasons to go before we get to next year. But it was a fun national signing day to be sure. And we got one coming up in football in just a few weeks. And the new coaching staff and head coach should be in place by that time. Warren I-4 last night at the Yingling Center. Great crowd. A lot of, you could see student athletes from other teams were there. Baseball, seems like the whole roster was there. And well, they got to see the Bulls put up a lot of enthusiasm and never quit, but they certainly had just too much of an opponent to overcome in the UCF Knights. Make it 20 wins in a row, basically every meeting since the American joined. So the Bulls never got to beat their rivals as an American Athletic Conference opponent. The only way they'll ever play them again is if they are included in one or the other's tournament because usually how the volleyball schedule goes is you have four weekends where four teams get together and get in matches against each other. So we'll see if that happens down the road. 
Also, just got to mention, again, if you missed the new Bulls Speed Ahead with Michael Kelly, we posted for the first time on Friday, he did mention that the Bulls are going to have some, well, he hinted anyway, that the Bulls are going to have some major opponents coming to Tampa next year. So UCF actually kind of qualifies as a major opponent these days. Witness the final score, 25-13, 25-18, 25-8. Now the Knights have swept more than half of their 15 conference matches. They did have the one loss to Houston, 22-1 and overall. But the Bulls probably could have expected McKenna Melville, the fantastic, now with nearly 2,500 kills leader for UCF in her fifth year, to have a good match because she actually just had nine kills to six errors back in Orlando. This time, just two errors. But they were able to feed Kari Zumach, one of their transfers out of Oregon, to the tune of eight kills. Heidi Bondi, who is a younger player on the team, popped up with a career-high six kills. They just have an up-and-down solid lineup. And even when the Bulls were able to dig up a Melville shot, that doesn't give you the point. They would still have issues finishing off points and, again, issues with errors. The Bulls had three aces to nine service errors, and they had just one more kill than errors in this match. As a matter of fact, they hit nearly a negative percentage for the match, .011, while UCF a blistering 455. 35 kills, just five errors, and it all adds up to a convincing win for the other team. The Bulls were led by Marta Svikovic with six kills. Then it was Michaela Washington, five. She actually hit for the best percentage of the Bulls, 167, at least with regular attempts. Yasmin Shaw, a freshman, had a nice night as well. But the Bulls just didn't have nearly enough to defeat an informed UCF team. Again, 20 in a row for the Knights over the Bulls. And if you really look at that roster for UCF, McKenna Melville has been the key. I mean, they've made it to the NCAA tournament. This will be five years in a row. Happens to coincide with their five years before that. They had gone to the NIT version of volleyball and had really only one other NCAA trip in the previous dozen years. But you look at her leading the way, and they've added some Power 5 transfers, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", types. And the Bulls just don't have that height. I know that Jolene Shepherdson and company are looking to improve that part of things. But a lot of spunk on the team and a lot of serious talent, just not enough to match UCF. That is pretty obvious. They will be playing tomorrow night at home against Cincinnati. I imagine a lot of people are going to do what I do, which is go from one part of the building to the other. That is women's basketball hosting FAMU at 6 o'clock. Right after that, it'll be the volleyball team playing Cincinnati. No, I'm not going to be able to pull off the doubleheader broadcast. I mean, I could pack up all my stuff from the floor of the Yingling Center and head on over to the corral and join the match in progress, but I'm just going to watch. After tomorrow night, four matches remain in the year for the Bulls, two on the road. Then they'll come home the day before and after Thanksgiving, basically their last two matches of the season. Let's hope that there's plenty of matches left in the men's soccer season. Today in Miami, we will not have the broadcast, but we'll keep a keen eye on the Bulls going up against SMU in the American Athletic Conference Tournament semifinals. We'll get more into what it means, the bubble watch, yes indeed, and the whole NCAA tournament setup. But first, the all-conference teams were announced. These are voted on by coaches and no Bulls on the first team. Now there are 11 members and there are a lot of great teams we've been telling you all year. Tulsa had four of the 11. UCF had two of the 11. They didn't even make the conference tournament, but Luca Dorado is one of the best scorers in the country, so he had to be on there. Not complaining per se, actually. It kind of goes towards what the Bulls accomplished this year. They did it without any standout offensive numbers. They did it with a lot of depth, a lot of grit, 
and a lot of defense. The two leaders on their defense, Brian Schaefer and Sal Mazzaferro, both were named second-team performers. Also yesterday, national recognition went to Nick Scargle, the kid from Clearwater, who has been part of this four-match winning streak in the middle of that defense alongside of Schaefer. He was named to the top drawer soccer best 11 of the week specifically for his work. I think USF is getting some national recognition. And, of course, he had the assist on the tying goal against Charlotte the other night, and he's played a tremendous defense, so that was good to see. But back to the all-conference, I would have found a spot for Takere Moriyama, who, as the defensive midfielder, was so awesome for the Bulls this year, but there indeed was no room for him for whatever reason. Again, I think the Bulls might take a little motivation from that, but to the point of SMU, for sure, as he's one of the top scorers in the country, sixth in the nation with 12 goals, Knut Allender is the offensive player of the year in the league and he's one of the many Mustangs they'll have to be concerned with today. It'll be a 4 o'clock start. The winner of this semifinal gets the winner of the later one between top seed and host FIU going up against Memphis. Now, the Bulls are trying to make the field of 48. Obviously, if they win the conference tournament, they are a lock. If they win today because SMU is top 10 RPI, they are a lock regardless of what would happen in the finals on Sunday. Better yet, they would be a lock to host. Here's the setup. 48 teams, the top 16, get a first round bye. The next 16 get to host the first round, and that means you got to be one of the best 32 teams in the field. And if the Bulls beat SMU, they will definitely be considered among those 32. That is if they win. If they lose, let's look at the bubble right now. Again, all courtesy of RPI Update Men's Soccer blog, which allows you to see right where the Bulls sit. There are still three teams between them and not getting in, which is a good thing. Also a good thing that a lot of the conference tournaments have gone to the teams that are supposed to win them, but there are still a few out there. Again, this is all if the Bulls lose to SMU today. And Let's be honest, it's a possibility. SMU is one of the best teams in the country and has already beaten the Bulls 3-1 to one earlier this year, though that was in Dallas. This will be on a neutral field in Miami. So there's two factors here. One is a question mark, and one is kind of a certainty. The question mark is, would the Bulls even drop from their current 38 ranking if they lose? Last night, and this is part of a good development for the Bulls, the team that was the last team in, Georgia State, got walloped in its semifinals in the Sun Belt by James Madison, 5 to nothing. More on that in a second. But the point is, Georgia State lost to a James Madison team that was ranked in the 50s and dropped six spots. So who's to say if the Bulls lose today to a team that right now is ranked ninth that they drop at all? Now let's say they do. I'm not sure that they will drop, but if they do, they would get closer to that bubble, obviously. I don't think they would drop out of the field. But if they do lose today, you certainly want to root for teams that are not just barely underneath them, but maybe in some cases barely above them, to not win. The best conference that fits that description is definitely the Big East, also the Big Ten to a lesser degree. And then there's the other category, leagues that have one standout team, some cases two, that are definitely going to the tournament, and you don't want anyone else to jump in and take that automatic spot. Unfortunately, there's quite a few leagues still playing out that fit that description, but let's start off with the Big East and the Big Ten. Good news is, the American is ranked higher than both of them, so it would stand to reason that if the Big Ten and the Big East get four teams in, then the American would for sure, and right now, USF is the fourth best team in the American. I know Memphis is ahead of them in the RPI, but the Bulls destroyed Memphis head-to-head, and I think the committee would go with that. 
However, let's look at the Big Ten first. I think the Big Ten's getting four teams, but it's still interesting to note because the fourth on the computer list is Rutgers, and according to the RPI, they're not getting in the field. There's three teams ahead of them, but they're also the number two seed and hosting the conference championship game. I think win or lose, the committee, despite Rutgers' poor strength of schedule, that's why they're in the mid-40s right now, still puts the Knights in. Would it be Ohio State? Dropping out because of that, Rutgers just beat Ohio State in the semis. And by the way, Ohio State is exactly one spot ahead of the Bulls. I'm guessing that they all get in, all four Big Ten teams that are well looking like NCAA tournament teams. I think the Big East is the real key today if you're rooting for teams to lose on the bubble because Georgetown is the one for sure team getting in from the conference. Then the other three semifinalists are all bubble teams. The team playing Georgetown, Butler, is two spots ahead of the Bulls. The other semifinal is Seton Hall versus Creighton. Seton Hall is three spots ahead of the Bulls, and Creighton is the last team in. So I'm saying the Seton Hall-Creighton winner gets in, and then Butler would secure a spot beating Georgetown. So Big East semifinals, definitely root for Georgetown if you're going to root for anybody. That's at 6.30 tonight. And before that, if you got to pick a team to root for, definitely make it Seton Hall in that first game because, again, Creighton right now is the last team in. Finally, yeah, all of those other conferences where you want the one and in some case and or 2C to go ahead and take care of business. Probably one too many of these types of conferences for my liking, but the good news is the one seeds are very highly ranked. Let's run them down real quick for you. Sun Belt, where Kentucky is undefeated and two in the country. Marshall is getting in, but you don't want James Madison to stun Kentucky in the championship game. Again, JMU gave the Bulls a good result as far as the bubble watch goes by beating Georgia State five to nothing at that. But that's where it needs to end, and hopefully it will Sunday. It is in Lexington, and you'd think Kentucky will handle James Madison. There is no conference tournament in the Ivy League, and that's actually good news because Cornell and Penn are both top 20, and the bubble teams, namely Harvard and Yale, they're in the low 40s. You know, if there was a conference tournament, could improve their ranking, but they wrap up their regular season against teams that are below them in the RPI, so... Way to go, Ivy League, with no conference tournament. We appreciate that. In the America East, the top two teams are both national seed candidates. So tonight, root for one seed New Hampshire and two seed Vermont to both win, and they're both at home, by the way. At least one of them has to win and then, of course, win in the championship. But just for fun, go Vermont and New Hampshire. There are two leagues where you have a top 10 team as the number one seed, and, of course, you want to root for them in the championship game. A-Sun, Lipscomb. A top 10 team playing Central Arkansas, which doubles as a bubble team, by the way. UCA is still below the Bulls, so they would not jump them if they were both to lose. But UCA is in the final in Nashville. That is Saturday night. Also Saturday night, SoCon, the seventh-ranked team, NC Greensboro, is hosting Mercer. Remember, the Bulls beat the Bears. It was their first win of the year. So just like the Lipscomb situation, you want... NC Greensboro to handle business. Almost identical to that A-Sun situation is the Atlantic 10, where St. Louis is in regardless, and Loyola is a bubble team. They play in St. Louis Sunday at noon. And oh yeah, by the way, last night, St. Louis was losing at home to Dayton, which would have played its way into the field with the win. St. Louis won in penalty kicks. The kind of example of things that you have to sweat out if you are a bubble team rooter and similar situation, almost identical actually, is in the Mid-American where Akron's in regardless, a national seed type, playing a bubble team in the final in Western Michigan. 
Then you have semifinals like the Atlantic 10. You might have to sweat out the Missouri Valley where there's only one team that knows it's getting in. That'd be Missouri State. Everyone else has to win the conference tournament. So Missouri State plays Bradley tonight. Go Bears and then go Bears on Sunday against the Evansville-Belmont winner. See, there's a lot happening. Oh, yeah, let's see. The Summit League, that's Denver, ranked 31st. Everyone else is outside the top 50, even though Oral Roberts is the number one seed. The semis and finals are in Denver. You want UD to win. So, yeah, that's a lot, I know. But just letting you know we're on the watch, and hopefully this was all a waste of time because the Bulls will beat SMU on Thursday afternoon. And then on Friday's show, we'll set up what the championship game means. If the other thing happens, well, we'll talk about it too. That wraps up Bulls Beat, though on a Thursday. I'm Derek Sharp.